few weeks ago, during the peak frenzy of the NBA free agency season, Scott, this is for you, nearly every notable player had committed to a team except for one. Anybody? Kawhi Leonard. Okay, Kawhi Leonard held two entire countries hostage for a week, Canada and the U.S. He took his time making his decision on what team would acquire his services. Now, I'm a Kawhi fan. My family are Kawhi fans. Um, but fans of the NBA in general, like this week was pure torture as people were waiting to see where Kawhi was going to land. Three teams were in the running. The Clippers, the Lakers, and the Raptors, but only God knew which team Kawhi was going to choose. <laughs> so this is not, I'm not kidding. Like I received hundreds, and I mean hundreds of text messages, right? Uh, going back and forth about where Kawhi was going to land. I read countless articles because I was really invested in this, um, and I wanted to know what the experts thought. So here's what the experts thought. Surprisingly, they were divided. At first, they said it was a done deal. Now, my percentages, I'm going to use the percentage 99% three times because this is the percentage that came from our so-called experts, okay? 99% done deal, Kawhi was headed to the Clippers as they were the team that Kawhi could be the top dog, right? Then it was a sure bet, 99%, okay, that he was going to the Lakers because he had had a conversation with former president of basketball operations, Magic Johnson. Then, like a good flip-flopping politician, um, they changed again, 99%, uh, to the Raptors because Kawhi was spotted in a black SUV headed towards a plane that might have been a conversation with Toronto Raptor management. Like, I finally got to the point where I made a decision where I'm not reading one more article. I'm, I'm not going to read these text messages anymore. I got to stop. We, had, we have to put a stop to this madness. Nobody knew how to read the signs of the present times when it came to Kawhi, this man of mystery. He finally choose, chooses the Clippers and made Scott the happiest person um, at Lightshine. Uh, because Scott, by the way, bought season tickets last year when the prices were way down, and he is one happy guy. He's going to sell like three games and make all of his money back and then go to as many games for free as he wants. So he's super happy. Um, so Jesus, under the stress of, this, of his rapidly approaching death, is going to surprise us with a really, really challenging uh, teaching. And so we're going to we're kind of see what we're going to do here. We're going to compare Kawhi Leonard to Jesus, at least in one way. Um, because a few of uh, the so-called experts, when Kawhi decided to go to the Clippers, they said, I told you so. And I'm like, come on, you told nothing. And like my friend JR is fond of saying, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Um, <laughs> so Jesus' death is rapidly approaching. He's going to we're going to get to this one of the more challenging, I think one of the really more challenging passages in the New Testament. It runs counter to some of our often held assumptions of the peaceful baby Jesus, meek and mild. He's going to challenge us to be able to interpret the signs of our present time in order to make decisions, decisions to follow or not to follow. And like Kawhi, just when some people thought they had Jesus figured out, he surprises them and he goes in another direction. So as we're listening to this really challenging word of God today from Luke 12, 49 to 56, we're going to pray that God might speak uh, so that we might better interpret the present signs, interpret what God is up to in our lives and around us um, so that we can follow Jesus more closely. Let's pray. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Give us grace 
to receive your truth with faith and love. And give us strength to follow on the path that you set before us. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Here we go. All right. Some challenging stuff in here. Are we ready? The words of Jesus. I came to bring fire to the earth. You see what I'm talking about right there already? Challenging. I came to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, two against three, they will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And then Jesus turned also to the crowds and said, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The word of the Lord. Hard enough for you? Anyone have that one figured out? All right. I'm not sure I do either. We'll see. Um, this is one of the most complicated sections of Scripture for multiple reasons. One reason is that Jesus is going to kind of shift back and forth between addressing crowds and his disciples. So the first section about division is addressed to his disciples. The final section about the weather report um, is being addressed to the crowd. And so, uh, Dustin, can you do this for me? Yeah. Uh, can you hit the first one for me? Jesus' mission is described with three words, fire, baptism, and division, all right? Not the peace, love, and kumbaya that you might have wanted or expected. Fire in the Bible does a couple of things, right? It's used to represent the presence of God, like think Moses in the burning bush. Um, it's used to represent eschatological or end-time judgment. Anybody remember the song Refiner's Fire from the 90s? Okay, that's the idea. Um, and finally, it's used to represent uh, purification. That's the one that goes with refiner's fire. And so when you put these three things together, what you have is Jesus embodying um, the very presence of God whose mission incorporates these different elements of, of judgment and purification. And so God, present in Jesus, is placed on the judgment seat to distinguish between people who recognize the signs of the present times and those who struggle to interpret the signs of what God is up to. And so Jesus' reference to his baptism is actually used in the future tense. This is important because it means we're not talking about his water baptism. Jesus has already been baptized. So we have to look um, a, little bit, a little bit deeper to understand that what Jesus is talking about is he's talking about his death. He refers to his death as his uh, baptism. It's an allusion to the cross, which is rapidly approaching. And his death, his baptism, as he calls it here, is the dominate, dominant theme of, of his mission. And so what I find pretty interesting about this passage is that Jesus, who embodies God's presence, is not actually dishing out punishment. Uh, what we learn from Scripture is rather that Jesus is taking this judgment upon himself. And so we see the anxiety created in this passage. Did you hear the words that he said? This road that Jesus would walk was uniquely his um, and this judgment that could be used to weaponize against us is in fact the means of our salvation 
that Jesus takes on this judgment that we uh, deserve. And so you see these, listen to these words. I, I was like, we usually just gloss right over them. Jesus walking toward the cross caused him terrible anxiety. This is amazing. He says, what stress I am under until it is completed. Just sit with those words for a moment. Jesus is living under a death sentence. These, this caused tremendous anxiety, emotional stress. Back to Kawhi, one of his nicknames, they call him the cyborg, right? And one of the reasons is, you know what one of those guys is? Part organic human parts, part bio-mechatronic parts. They call him this because, one, he seems kind of superhuman, uh, but the other one is he rarely ever shows emotion. And so it took winning an NBA championship just to get the guy to smile, right? And so does Kawhi have feelings? Does he have emotions? Is he really human? Of course he is. Of course he is. But we do the same thing to Jesus. We're like, oh, Jesus is God. He didn't, he, he's not feeling emotional strain and anxiety. And then you read those words. The Greek word for stress is the feeling of being squeezed, okay? So that's what that word means, and not the squeeze of a gentle hug from a loved one. A tight squeeze, a prolonged squeeze that squeezes the air out of your lungs, right? This is the kind of deep meaning behind this word. This baptism that Jesus had to complete on our behalf was costly. Not only costly on the cross, costly on the journey to the cross as well. And then we come to the most troubling part of the statement of Jesus' mission, that Jesus came to bring division, not peace. Anybody surprised by that? Like, I was. <laughs> I read it, and I've read it a ton of times before. Um, like, I read this, and my heart sank. I'm like, oh, I'm a can't-we-all-just-get-along kind of a person. You know? Like, I'm a peacemaker. When I take tests, they always come out as a reconciler and a peacemaker, right? And then you read these words, and so when you have something that's mysterious in Scripture or difficult or you're not sure what the meaning is, number one interpretive tool for you is to compare that to other Scripture, right? Super important. So I, I'm like, all right, I need to figure out what does this mean? Like, let's compare it to some, to some other Scripture. Um, so here we go. Peace, which we sang about. Peace is referenced about 430 times in Scripture. That says... We have a pretty prominent biblical theme, right? Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. Jesus taught, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, right? So either our present verse is just in direct contradiction with many of the other passages, including the teachings of Jesus himself, or we need to dig beneath the surface and see what the heck is going on with this passage. Now, for Jesus, the opposite of, of peace is not war, it's division. So here's where we get to, we get to this word. And we also know from reading our text today that division is one of the characteristics of the mission. And so with all the divisiveness in the world around us, right, more division is the last thing we probably want or need. And yet Jesus says, this is what we're gonna get. We're gonna get division. So I took a quick look at one of uh, the New Testament's most beautiful and expansive verses from Colossians 1.19. This is what Paul writes. So we just, we're going to hold these things in tension. Paul writes, For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus God was pleased to reconcile to God's self all things, whether on earth or in heaven, 
by making peace through the blood of his cross. God sends Jesus to make peace for the world through his death, to reconcile all things to God's self. So which is it? Does Jesus come to bring peace or division? Right? It's a tough question. So my answer is this, simple. Jesus came to bring peace, but division is what we should expect. So we need to talk about this a little bit. His point is not a terribly complicated one. There is going to be opposition expected. It's said that the average adult, you ready for this, makes 35,000 decisions a day. Right? It's a lot of decisions. One of those decisions is a choice about Jesus. Right? So we have to, and this is where we're going to go here at the finish, we have to be willing and ready to see and interpret the signs of the present times, the evidence, both the biblical evidence, the experiential evidence. We have to be making a choice daily about uh, what do we do with this, with this Jesus. And I think the hardest part of this teaching is that Jesus highlights this division using the closest, most intimate, and most important relationships that we have, our families. Our families will not all be on the same page about Jesus. Some will choose to follow, others will not. And this can be a really painful thing, particularly for parents. We, we have, we've had some of these conversations with people in here. We know that this is hard. I started thinking about tracing uh, the faith in my family back. So I went back a couple generations. The farthest I can, my grandma actually told me the story. And she said that there was a day that my great-grandfather, whom I never met, he went to this revival meeting in Washington State. And at the revival, he has this real conversion experience. And he walked down to the ocean and he smoked a pipe. And he walked down to the ocean, he symbolically threw his pipe in the ocean, um, signifying this change that being attached to Jesus was going to require of him. And as far as I know, that's as far back as I can go. Uh, this is where I believe faith started in my family. And so he passes the faith on to my grandmother, who is like as faithful a disciple as you, you'd ever, ever meet, who passes the faith on to my mother, who models and teaches the faith to me. Four generations. In all four of those generations, for whatever reason, reasons I can't explain, there are those who follow Jesus and there are those who've chosen a different, a different route. So my family tree is divided over Jesus, both historically and presently. My guess is that a lot of our families are like that, divided over Jesus, some following and some not. And so Jesus says, well, he came to bring peace and wholeness, but that's not always our experience of Jesus. So with patience, like we, we talk about these things, with patience, we continue to pray, we continue to model the faith, we continue to live it out for those around us, we teach it. Um, we don't give up hope because we remember that passage from Colossians that God is actively working to reconcile all things, all people. And so at this point, Jesus had been speaking to his disciples, who probably understood this fact as well as anybody possibly could. These, these people had left their homes. They've left their families uh, all to follow Jesus. Can't you just hear Peter's mother? Just think what Peter's mother might say. You're going to do What? You're going to go where? With whom? Like, what about college? <laughs> like, what about your fishing business? You're just going to walk away? What about me? Like, who's going to take out the trash? I mean, just, just keep going with this, right? You can hear these questions that Peter's mother must have 
And, and what about Jesus' own family? Do we remember the story where Jesus' own family thought he was crazy? Okay. Um, these, the disciples, Jesus' own family, they understood this passage really well. They were living it. The thing is, I think a lot of us are living it and experiencing what Jesus is talking about too. And so after teaching his disciples, Jesus turns to the crowd. He wants to talk about the weather. Now, seems that the average person in the first century could actually predict the weather better than our so-called experts today. Unlike our meteorologists who have use of satellite images and Doppler radar and whatever, the ancients really had one tool. They had their eyes. And so with a few simple observations, they can predict the weather in Palestine. So Jesus says a westerly wind means that moisture from the Mediterranean is coming and it's about to rain. Southerly breezes meant the heat from the desert was on its way. The signs of the times were indicated by the breezes. And Jesus is like, yeah, he gets after them. He says, you can predict the weather, but you don't have any idea what God is up to right in front of your faces. The signs, according to Jesus, were everywhere. And yet what he says is there's so much spiritual blindness. And so he calls them hypocrites. And maybe like the weather, they think they've got the whole God thing figured out, right? And Jesus is saying to them that they're missing out on the God who's standing right in front of them. So God was and is up to something in Jesus. Questions that I thought about um, that would be good questions to reflect on is can we read the signs of our times? Do we recognize what God is up to in our midst? And what are the things in our lives that hinder our ability to see clearly the things that God is up to, right? Those would be some great questions to reflect on. Here's a final thought on the division that, that Jesus brings, that Jesus is also doing something really important, which, which he does all the time in his ministry. He's speaking truth to power. Power will always resist. And so Jesus was and is unseating unjust power structures. That is certain to produce division, more conflict. The kingdom of God is governed not by might, but by forgiveness. It's governed not by fear, but by courage, by, not by power, but rather humility. And so the current structures of power will tempt us with the opposite. Hey, use your power for your own gain at the expense of others. Give in to a culture of fear of people who look different than you. Give in to the myth of scarcity in a world of God's abundance. Right? We can feel this tension every day, the tension of the way of the world and the way of Jesus. We feel this all the time. So people will resist and try to hold on to what they have. This can and will divide people. For me, and probably for many of us, when I was thinking about this subject matter, a particular person in an incident came to mind. For me, those mass shootings the other week in El Paso and Dayton brought back floods of memories for me about the borderline shooting, knowing multiple people who were there. And so right now, what we see is this overwhelming groundswell, gaining momentum in this country, pleading with our government to do something about these senseless mass shootings. Could God be up to something? We have to ask this question, paying attention to the present signs. Is God up to something here? Well, I have a good friend who's a, who's a, a mentor of mine, uh, Craig, Craig Williams. 
Craig is now the pastor over at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church. He was actually my first church planning coach. And so he emailed me and said, like, we, we need to, you know, after these shootings, so we, really, we need to do something, right? So we need to do something. There has to be something we can do. And the trouble is that when we look at you know, gun violence, we're just taking this one issue because this, this, this is a very current thing. When we look at gun violence only through a partisan political lens, we can understand why it divides, right? And what is Jesus saying? He's asking us to look at issues through a different lens, a lens that supersedes partisan politics in America. And so he wants us to ask a simple question. What is God up to? Is God up to something? Can we see the signs of what God is up to? And so Craig was a man who's taking Jesus seriously. He's trying to do this. He's looking around and he's saying, God's up to something. And we have to figure out a way to join in. This guy is doing exactly what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He's reading the present signs and he's trying to join in what he's seeing. So too often those of us, uh, in, like Jesus' day, we miss often the signs of what God is up to when we look at the world through other sets of lenses. Like our weather forecasters, we're not always going to see clearly. We're going to get it wrong sometimes. There's no doubt about that. But Jesus' invitation is to always be on the lookout, to always be paying attention to the things going on around us, to what God is up to in your life, uh, to what God is up to in your family, in your neighborhood, in your schools, in the places that you work in your community and around the world. And when we see God at work in those places and in those things, Jesus says, join what is going on. Join God in what is going on. And that's Jesus' cure for spiritual blindness. So may we have eyes of faith to see well. Let's pray. Gracious God, we know and see from this passage how hard it was for Jesus to journey toward Jerusalem under those conditions. God, we're grateful that in your divine mercy you saw fit to take judgment upon yourself in order to free us. God, as we experience division of all kinds, help us to hold on to hope that you are active and at work, not only in our lives, but in those around us and in the world all around us. May we have eyes to see what you're up to in the world and the courage to join you there. Amen.